Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. This is your host, Light the Light Finger Thief. And here I'm joined by Logar. Hello, I am Logar the Barbarian. Logar, it looks like we have the, uh, you know, town burning. It looks like the king's a little bit worried that we have the guillotines marching up to his castle. Yay! What do you think the next step should be? Celebrate? <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> Bring out your pitchfork, torches, and booze. <laughs> so if you listen to the last episode we did, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to try to make these day one, day two, instead of waiting a whole week on our Dragon Mag thing. Because we're doing a Dragon Mag article we talked about, and it brought up more discussion of doing a political campaign. So go back and listen to the part one of running a political campaign, and then come back here. I've got some more thoughts to add to it. And last we left off, we said we really need a group of people that are invested in playing a political campaign in order to pull it off be clear yeah. with your folks and i think that the best way to approach one unlike what they said because they're kind of pointing out a sandbox and you creating the world around them but i think a good way to get them invested is to do collaborative world building focusing on the politics and the conflicts within the world therefore you kind of start your players off with a better footing Instead of them trying to have to figure out what's going on, they've contributed to it, they've invested in it, and they can make characters that fit into that into dynamic that, and that conflict. Campaign. Yep. So sorry, uh, this is uh, Dragon Magazine issue 196, August 93, and we're talking about the greatest and most honorable adventures for fantasy political campaigns. And and again, we've got we've veered we've veered quite a far quite far from what they've written, but I I feel that what they've written is okay. I want to say something that returned to something we talked about before, where they talked about having the right classes. Yes, we the talked a little, a little bit about the classes and the class handbooks for 2E, which is when this article was written. I'm going to say that most every class is is suitable for a political campaign. I think it each class is suitable. However, you need to, as you mentioned, from a world-building environment, make sure that your background and your character can fit into this particular uh, political situation that you might be in. Well, maybe not even your background, but even what's going on currently in the world. One of the things that there's the old feminist adage that's really good, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, is the personal is political. And making what impacts like a magic user or a cleric a political conflict issue, because those are often political conflict issues. Religion is the center historically of so many political conflicts. So you have a cleric. Whoa, politics all over that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, yeah. So let's talk about the four classes, right? So cleric, yes, because religion and politics, unfortunately, are mixing too much in the current state of the... <laughs> well, no, I'm going to rewind and say that religion and politics are the same through most of human history because it used to be the concept of like the state and the church that people were rallying against. Only in recent centuries have we come up with ideas of taking the religion out of that hierarchy. So you're talking about politics throughout like the Roman Empire and throughout the Dark Ages and Middle Ages. Sure, the, the church, church had a lot of power. Ruled. Yeah, the churches ruled. They were they were high up there. And and the the power was like things like divine rights. Divine rights. Yeah. Okay, so maybe I should <laughs> I'm going to re redo my intro. The castle is burning and the church is burning. Hooray. <laughs> but going back to the classes. So we talked about the cleric. We talked about the bard a little bit, where the bard could be, you know, a court jester, a lord master, a herald. We talked about the thief a little bit because a thief leads into like assassinations and spies and other uh, deceptive or deception, which is very normal in politics. Yes. Uh, cleric. Uh, thief. Okay, how about the court mage, <laughs> the magic user? How does the magic user or wizard play into 
How many times have witches and magic users been burned for heresy and attacked for their for speaking out against the church and against against North? I mean, there's very political things you can get into with magic users. On top of that, um, I'm going to talk about power dynamics for a minute. One thing to make these interesting is to examine power dynamics within society, the hierarchy of a state, the hierarchy of a church, the hierarchy of businesses and companies, all the things that make the decisions and what power it is they hold over you, be it spiritual power, uh, financial power and capital, or just straight up military power, which or is military violence. Power, which <laughs> is uh, where the fighters can come in, because that was the last class we hadn't talked about yet, was more fighters in the military or fighters as a noble. So. They're the ones that, that those in power are sending off to die for whatever whim it is they want you to die for. So fighters are extremely political class. It's a very political class, or the fighters can be used to enforce the rules of the ruling class, be it you know, religious like Paladins or other. So one of the things I've been saying in the last episode, I'm going to do it here in this one too, is I've been suggesting some books that I, that I have found useful in plotting things that are more political campaigns and, and examining these things. I'm going to suggest another book for everybody. This one's a more of a sociologist type book, sociology, and it specifically examines power structures and is written by a fellow from, I believe, I think it was written sometime in the fifties. I might be wrong. But C. Wright Mills, who also contributed greatly to schools of things like sociology uh, with his concept of the sociological imagination. But C. Wright Mills wrote a book called The Power Elite, and he kind of examines the current society of the 20th century then. But those same exact like analysis of power and class structures can also be brought over to any point in time in history once you start seeing what he's doing there. And looking at who holds powers, he presents three classifications of people who are the power elite, who are interchangeable. And it's kind of the same. If you start breaking this apart in the Middle Ages and stuff like that, you can find some of this going on. But he presents the uh, men of business, men of military, and men of politics. I mean, we see that in our world today where businessmen jump over into politics, politicians get into the business, and the military folks are also meddling in there with the politics and these people who hold power. So looking at a book like C. Wright Mills, The Power Elite, is a great thing to kind of get your juices flowing and thinking about power structures that would exist within your campaign world, within the world around, who holds that power, what is interchangeable, and what are the relationships between the people that have that power and beginning to structure and world build um, using things like a class analysis, asking, okay, what classes exist in here? Proletariat, are we talking about serf? What are we talking about a bourgeois class? And starting to examine those and seeing where those conflicts really lie in your game. Again, it's one of these things that I think you need to spend a little bit of time in building the background for your story and the yeah. world and universe. I think we've re- both of us have reiterated that several times across the podcast. It's like you need to really do some background work and build that universe so that you have the right drivers for all the different factions of non-player characters in the game and get it well written out. It's understanding where those, and I think there's something to say about understanding where those NPCs, where they benefit from within this structure what their drive is like like philosophically or belief wise why they are seeking what they're seeking what they're getting out of it are they seeking power are they seeking liberation are they seeking you know there's a lot of different things that he'll be they could just be seeking basic rights and understanding what these people are willing to do or not willing to do like a comfortable 
like middle class if that exists, which wasn't a thing in a lot of medieval worlds, but you could be doing this in a sci-fi game. You could be doing this in a contemporary game or any other setting. A comfortable middle class is probably a lot less likely to rebel than some of the people who, who were uh, suffering, like let's say under the Mexican Revolution when that occurred. I'll throw another one of my books out there, Dreams of Freedom, or Ricardo Flores Magon Reader is a great book to look at for a revolution. Ricardo Flores Magon was uh, was from Oaxaca, Mexico regions. He was very involved in the early parts of the revolution. He left the United, who left Mexico for the United States, ran a paper, and, and this gives a biography of him, what happened with the Mexican Revolution, his involvement, as well as his writings for the revolution. So you get to see lots of different snippets of conflicts that occurred throughout the revolution, which would be great for adventure seat ideas. And that's put out by AK Press, Dreams of Freedom, uh, a Ricardo Flores Nagon reader, and it's edited by Chaz Bufe, B-U-F-E, and Mitchell Cohen Verder. I'll try to put links to some of these books that I've mentioned in the show notes when I post this. But anyways, looking at those nuances that occurred like within existing conflicts can give you good ideas. Like there's a great story in there about this woman named um Ortega. Uh, and I don't have the page over, I'm not going to, but she was from a more comfortable. Uh, middle-class family and her family was far less likely to rock the boat so when her and her daughter did join the revolution or rebellion it was kind of an anomaly that others weren't doing it but it, it talks about what happened with her the united states and the mexican government because you've got all these different factions that start to fight against each other and even within the revolution itself you started seeing different factions you had a uh, zapata to the south who was coming up who was actually at times with and antagonistic with the leaders of the revolution, even though he was a revolutionary leader and you had Pancho Villa to the north more, again, at times friendly and at times in conflict with the same side that he was working with. So looking at those kinds of relationships and conflicts like the Mexican revolution are great for ideas of creating a full, rich world that kind of gives to all that intrigue and stuff like that in doing a political campaign. How, you know, how long will Pancho Villa or the, a character similar to that align themselves with a revolutionary group? How revolutionary is that group and what are their different interests and where do they clash? Does that make sense? <laughs> Above what I normally read. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got it. These are the kinds of things I think, like if you read, if you look at some of the history there and some of the ways the different conflicts exist, I think that I think there's a wealth of information through history that can really flesh out a political campaign beyond just saying, oh, we want to overthrow the king and stuff like that. There are plenty of examples where certain groups have aligned themselves with a king against a greater evil, which can make an even interesting political conflict, like uh, what occurs in the Middle East. Around was it? At, was it? Oh shoot! What's what, was it? Uh, Iran and the prince that ruled there and stuff like that. This progressive prince that ruled, and then the, the Anglo the was it called the Anglo Persian Oil Company, which eventually becomes called BP. They kind of complained things were nationalized, so the Europeans come in and try to overthrow it all and stuff like that. There's so many factions that exist there in those conflicts and fight over those resources that you can look at and study from history and create these 
complex issues and these complex interactions within your own game world where, yeah, they may be my friend or allied with me in this case, but in another case, we may have issues with them. And I think personally, if I'm going to construct a political campaign, those are the ways I'm going to go. I'm not going to make it uh, black and white. There's going to be lots of shades of gray. <laughs> well, of course, you know, as they say, you know, a friend of your enemy is your friend at that moment in time, mm-hmm. but they may become your enemy after <laughs> you've taken out the primary one, right? So Yeah, and like we, ha- I had brought up the Spanish Civil War earlier, and this exact same thing happened there. Factions in the Spanish Civil War, there were a lot of uh, paramilitary groups that were volunteer-led, like things like the Abraham Lincoln Brigade and stuff like that, who were people from the U.S. who came over to help fight fascism in Spain. And there was the Palm and the FAI and the CNT and all these different militant groups that were just kind of loosely working together as volunteer armies. And at some point in time during the war, some of their allies started, they started turning on certain allies like the FAI and the CNT kind of got screwed by some of the Soviets and attacked. So that's a reality that these groups that are working together today are working against each other tomorrow. Take uh, Afghanistan, for example, and what occurred there against Russia in the 70s under the Carter administration. We funded the people we ended up going on to fight through the (laughs) Afghanistan war. So looking at who we're funding and why we're funding them, these are our enemies for now. Oh, no, we want them because they're an enemy with them. So we're going to be friendly, but we really have big conflicts. That, I think, is where you can really get into the nitty gritty and having your players have to kind of feel around those different conflicts, I think, can make for interesting campaign. <laughs> so, as you mentioned, from an adventure standpoint, how you can apply that. So, as you mentioned, for example, even in the real world, we have reoccurring characters that we uh, had to deal with. So, like you said, with Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So, it's the same within your tabletop role-playing campaign. You know, maybe you overthrow the king and he escapes. He might come back and try to fight you later on or... Maybe there's certain factions that will pop back up after you've allied with them and they've gotten their goals. So I think overthrowing a king should be is very far off on on the play on the area of play. So like if I was going to approach a political campaign, what are the first things that occur in these conflicts? Random acts of terrorism are often one of them random assassinations and interpersonal violence. We see that in the United States today. So the conflict should be small and less coming from the top necessarily. Maybe they are coming from the top because maybe the conflict involves the team's guards or a police force doing something heinous like slaughtering innocent people. So you start with those basic conflicts in order to build that politic, if that makes sense. Yeah, my point was about reoccurring characters. Oh, yeah. I was just using it as an example. So mm-hmm. reoccurring characters within your campaign, I was using an example as yeah. the king on a very large macro scale. But of course, as long, you can use reoccurring characters with any situation, small or large. So my point being is having these reoccurring characters, villains or allies, will make your campaign more interesting and more real as well to your players. Yeah. And keeping because if you're involved in a political struggle, you're probably organizing regularly with the same people. And Different political organizations get together and on on one thing and then separate on another thing and stuff like that. That happens. So maybe have those different organizations and what their crux is. Maybe you have a loose group of political organizations within a given city. The the I ran what's it called? Um, 
I ran the blight a little bit, and there's a lot of areas there that's let, set up for revolutionaries and anarchists and different factions like that to where you can have reoccurring characters, and they're appearing in the bars and stuff like that around right. there. The politic isn't necessarily even overthrowing the government, but the but you can make that game driven by the politics and by the desires of those groups, those factions, and what your characters and goals are within that given political situation. <laughs> yeah. So some of the political modules that I've been looking at that we actually play in our Hyperborea campaign was a CNC module, Castles and Crusades modules by Trollor Games, uh, To Kill a King, which is the in the F series of modules, and then the sequel, which was uh, Shattered Knight. So there are also political modules, game modules out there um, as you look, but you know this one is more straight politics versus a f- more traditional fantasy world like elves versus dwarves type of situation. And I, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to we're gonna come and play. I think we're starting to get past time, but I want to throw this out there. One of the ways that I tried to include a political possibility in the recent thing I played was I have dwarves who are miners. I kind of mirrored the miners off of uh, coal miners from Appalachia. I kind of made a fantasy version of you know bib overalls and, and <laughs> mining. <laughs> they came down for their holler days, which are, are days they got to come down to the holler from the mines and, <laughs> and not have to work. Um, and having that just element of real world politic, giving these disgruntled miners who are having issues with the mine owners as a very real possibility for players to follow down that road. We didn't necessarily go there, but seeding in things like that, those real conflicts, those real drives of the workers and stuff like that is a good way to create a political campaign, I think. Yep, for sure. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at LogarHailChrom. You can really use the help and support on Patreon. If you can't support us, patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling. Roll them high.